All right. Well, I'm going to invite Pastor Joe up to introduce our guest this morning. Good morning, brothers and sisters. It is wonderful to see you this morning, to see so many people. Um, welcome everybody at home. And I know Mike Biatangitama, our camp speaker, he's watching in, in Victoria. Hey, Mike, good to see you, brother. Uh, well, I can't see you, but anyway. Um, anyway, the reason why, the reason why we, we're having our special guest today is because for those of you who came to camp, we had our brother Mike share with us a specific message about how we should go deeper in our partnership with Israel. And in our discussion groups afterwards, questions were arisen regarding our view of Israel and how God has not finished with them as his people. And so there were a lot of questions. So a couple of things. One, I, I managed to call up Jews for Jesus and, and praise God our brother had today free and was able to come along and share with us this morning. And we have an extra bonus as well today is that this afternoon, after lunch at 1 p.m., we're going to come back and gather upstairs for a Q&A, just an hour so from one to two, to sit down and we can talk more privately, more intimately with our brother Bob, and we can ask him various questions. What, what is God's plan for Israel in the future? What is God's plan for Israel in the whole plan of redemption? And so I, I would love to see you guys fed yourselves, and then coming back and we can share and get around the word together. So please make our brother feel welcome as I introduce to you our brother this morning, Bob Mendelssohn. Thanks, Joe. Shalom, brother. Shalom. shalom. I, I, I said shalom to try and show off what Hebrew I knew, and, and he said to me, Sean, your name's Sean? So <laughs> my accent was that bad. I couldn't even say that properly. Um, so, I so I apologize for that, brother. No, Forgive no, me. No. <laughs> oh, no, <we> <laughs> <laughs> okay, wrong church. But anyway, okay, so we got, well, okay, so just, I'm going to ask a couple of questions allow us to get to know you a little bit better, if that's okay. That's fine. Um, so I guess my first question is, are you from an Orthodox Jewish home? I am. You I grew up in Kansas City in the middle of the United States, third of three children. So I always brought surprises to my family because that's what third kids do. And when I came home at 19 and told them that I was a Jew who believed in Jesus, oy, uh, it, it, it was horrible. It was really hard. Okay, I, I, can, I, can I stop you there? How then does an Orthodox Jew get to know Jesus. Yeah, because of the boldness of some Jesus freaks. Amen. I mean, when you think about it, somebody was praying, somebody was uh, ministering, somebody was just assuaging. It was all a work of God. It was the work of the Holy Spirit. I was 19. I was a hippie. I was a university dropout. Kids are all gone, aren't they? Okay. <laughs> and, and look, it was 1970 when I dropped out. It was Peace, love, sex, rock and roll. It was that, that was the era. That's what I did. And I was hunting, not religion. I had enough. I had plenty of religion. But I was looking for meaning and relevance. I think those were the two operative words for us hippies. And I was not, I didn't know where to find it. And so you hitchhike around the U.S. and you, you do all the right things. You know, we were nonconformists, so we all dressed alike, slept alike, smoked alike. We all did the, we did the same thing because that's what nonconformists do, so that we could find meaning and relevance. Yeah. Well, I had some Jesus freaks surround me in Atlanta, Georgia, and I mean surround. There were four of them on Peachtree Street, and I stood there, and I look, they looked like they were from Mars. White shirts, skinny ties, crew cuts. I mean, this was 1971. I was, I, I didn't have a, a long hair. I had a Jew fro. 
I would like to see that, actually, if you've got a picture sometime. We will find one. Uh, <laughs> and they were as foreign to me as, oh, I don't know, New Zealand. I mean, Thank you for saying that right. I appreciate that. That's uh, for saying that one well. You, you pronounced it correctly. I don't want you to be confused. <laughs> so I, that, Jesus was foreign. And they said something about our blessed Lord Jesus Christ. And I got to tell you, he wasn't ours. He wasn't Lord. He wasn't blessed. He wasn't Christ. None of that. And so I mocked them. I ridiculed them. Two months later, though, I was back in Kansas City. This was in Atlanta, Georgia. I was in Kansas City, and some young Jesus people were sitting on a stoop out front of a museum. And the girl said, you know, the Lord is with you. I went, oh, boy, some more of those people. Uh, but I stopped. I don't know why. Well, you know, it's the Holy <laughs> Spirit. But I stopped, and I turned around. I sat down. I said, I'm Jewish. Go ahead. Wow. I, I didn't know what they were. Well, they were going to prove to me that their blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus, I'd seen the movies, were, <laughs> was the, the Savior, and I needed to convert and become a Christian, quit being a Jew and all that. Well, oh, Jewish. So they flipped to Genesis 1 and started proof-texting to me a trinity, and I went, excuse me. And I took their Bible and showed them, no, they're wrong. And, and the, at the end, the girl said, I mean, the boy had Jesus is dot, dot, dot written on his blue jeans. The, the, the girl said, you know, when you accept Christ here at the park, the green grass will be greener and the blue sky will be bluer. Where's that in here? <laughs> that's yeah. not in yeah. here. But, you know, that spoke to my heart. And, and I started reading the pages of St. Matthew and St. Mark and St. John. I thought they were Catholics. I, I had no idea. <laughs> well, I'd never met a St. Jewish person. And, but it was, it was in the reading of the Newer Testament and the, the Gospels itself that I found the consummate hippie, Jesus, the man of peace and love and meaning and relevance. Yeah. And I went to a girl's house and I said, I want this. I knew she was a born again. And so I said, I want this Jesus stuff, but I don't want your Jesus she said, you don't get this Jesus stuff, love, joy, meaning, relevance, unless you take Jesus as your Savior. Well, that night, full moon, May 1971, 50 years ago next month, I said, okay, and I sang Amazing Grace, and how sweet that sound was. It was, it was pretty remarkable. That's awesome. That's, give me a round of applause. That, 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 the greatness of God to work in a hippie's life. With, yeah. May I say the word Jufro with a Jufro and everything? Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so let me pray for you. We'll hand it over. We, um, if you want to explain to us as well a little bit later the, the, the stuff that you've bought sure. uh, and things as well. And, and I, I reckon even if we sit upstairs and, and talk more about your life and your journey and, and how God has brought you from Kansas City to Jews for Jesus to Australia would be an amazing thing to behold and, and see God's work in your I'll life. I'll tell mostly true things. Praise Most God. We're, we're happy with it. So let me to pray for you, sure, and please. then we'll hand it over. Father, thank you so much for your work of grace within Brother Bob's yeah. life. Thank you that you've taken him from being a, a hippie to being sold out for you. Thank you that he came to experience the wonderful joy, the, the peace, the relevance, the love that can only be found in the person of Jesus Christ. Mm. And as he shares that love with us now, may you anoint him, may you give him the words to speak, and we as your people be receptive to your truth now. May it not return to you avoid, but accomplish that which you please. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, brother. Thanks, Joe. Shalom, everyone. I'll speak in English. Uh, this morning, would you turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 24?
please. Luke chapter 24. This is a story that took place almost 2,000 years ago and a couple weeks. It is the story of two disciples on the road to Emmaus. It was an Easter Sunday. They, however, didn't know it was Easter. They didn't have the weekend off. It wasn't a long weekend for them. Luke 24, beginning at verse number 13. Behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place while they were talking and discussing Yeshua. Can I call him that? Yeshua. Jesus, Yeshua himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are these words you're exchanging with one another as you're walking? One of them, oh, they stood still looking sad. One of them named Cleopas answered and said, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? He said, what things? They said the things about Jesus, the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. We were hoping it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. And also some women among us amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. They didn't find his body. They came back saying they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb, found it exactly as the women had said, but they didn't see him. He said to them, O oh, foolish and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. They were sad, Cleopas and friend, maybe Mrs. Cleopas, it doesn't say, but they were despondent. They were kind of rearranging the pebbles as they walked back from Jerusalem down towards Emmaus. Yeah, we thought he was going to be the guy. He wasn't the guy. Now what? Now what do we live our lives for? Now what? Yeshua gives his best sermon to two people. <laughs> I love that. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Moses meaning the five books of Moses, the first five books, Genesis through Deuteronomy, and all the prophets, he has a Bible class. What might he have included in that? Well, before we get there, let's look at some of the other things that happened in this story. We thought he was going to redeem Israel, verse 21. When you hear redeem, you might be thinking about the songs we sing about blood and forgiveness and individual salvation, but that's not the way Jews thought. It's not the way Jews think in these days. Jewish people think of national redemption. That is, all of us were in Egypt. All of us were redeemed and were delivered. That's what they're looking for. Who's the boss in those days? Rome. Who's dominating the Jews? Rome. Who do we want to be free from? Rome. It's us all delivered or redeemed from the power of Rome. 
in modern days. I remember growing up in the 50s and 60s in the U.S. and that the redemption story had to do with Russia. There was a Cold War and the bad guys were Russians and the good guys were Americans. How simple life is when it's binary. They, there were two reasons that they were the bad guys. As an American Jew, they were, there were two reasons. One, because of the Cold War, naturally geography defined it and world powers. But secondly, because there were three million Jewish people living in the former Soviet Union who were not allowed to practice our religion. When the Messiah came, he'd beat up the Russians and we could have our own religion. That's what I was taught. In the same way that they were taught in those days that when the Messiah came, he'd beat up the Romans and we could have our own religion. Not that we wanted to rule the Roman Empire or the Russian Confederation. We just wanted them off our back. Hmm. Oh, one other thing was going to happen when the Messiah came. See, I was the third of three kids, which means I never got anything new. So I asked my dad, hey, Dad, when am I going to get, you know, like a new uh, bicycle? He'd say, yeah, when the Messiah comes. So I was really, I was really looking forward to that so that I could get new transportation. It says in that same verse, besides, it's already the third day since these things happened. Now, you're Easter people, so you get it. But Cleopas had not seen the DVD, so he didn't know what really happened there at the tomb. In 1994, a rabbi died in Brooklyn, New York. Not news. There are 500,000 Jews who live in Brooklyn. At least one rabbi every year would be in an obituary. That's not a surprise. But this was the Lubavitcher Rebbe Menachem Schneerson. You won't be tested on this. Menachem Schneerson. Well, maybe you will. Uh, Menachem Schneerson. Uh, he was over 90 years old. He was the leader of the Lubavitcher movement. Many touted him to be the Messiah. A claim he never knocked back. When he died that summer... Thousands, tens of thousands of his adherents gathered not only uh, to pay him respect, but to await his imminent resurrection. See, the rabbis teach that the spirit of a man hovers over a corpse for three days. On the fourth day, it departs. Maybe that helps you understand why Jesus waited two extra days to raise his friend Lazarus. So on the third day, all the expectation of the entire Lubavitcher world was there in New York. And on the fourth day, when Menachem Schneerson did not rise, there was great disappointment. They went home. They were right, Messiah would die. They were right, Messiah would rise from the dead. They were right, he would rise before the fourth day. They were wrong. It wasn't a rabbi from Brooklyn. What they should know, what they should have known, what you will know in just a few moments is who the Messiah really is. So keep your, uh, some paper there in Luke. We might come back to it. I think we will. And flip back to me, with me to Genesis chapter 3, would you please? Genesis 3. It's the Proto-Evangelion, as you might have memorized in 
Bible College, the first mention of the gospel or good news in the record of scripture. Some of you know it as the Garden of Eden story. Some of you know that that's where the Apple computer gets the bite out of it. All right, here you go. Genesis 3.15, bite with an I, by the way. Uh, Genesis 3.15, this is a proclamation from God to the serpent. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He will bruise you on the head and you'll bruise him on the heel. Do you like jigsaw puzzles? Some of you? Yeah. My family loves them. I, I don't, but, but my, my kids love them. Now, if you do them correctly, and I'm no wizard at this, you, open, you look at the box top, you open up Ken Duncan, you, you dump out all the pieces, you put all the pieces right side up, you look one last time at the box top, and then you put the box top away. Then you put the pieces together and you watch a picture emerge. I'm going to ask you to do what I ask Jewish folks to do in Bondi Junction, where our office is. Where, where did you think we would be? Lakemba? Where, okay. The, I've been there. Um, I'm going to ask you to do what I ask Jewish folk to do in Melbourne and New York and Israel. I'm going to ask you to put away the box top of what you already believe about the Messiah. Let's put the pieces of the puzzle right here on the table. Be on, let's be honest about what we see. Is that fair enough? Okay. So here in Genesis 3.15, we have three puzzle pieces I'm putting right on the table. Number one, the Messiah would be the seed of the woman. You say, Bob, that's not exactly a great clue. Everyone is born of a woman, right? Wrong. Not in Judaism. Abraham begat Isaac. Thank you, Sarah. Isaac begat Jacob. Where's Rebecca? You with me? Men have children genealogically in Judaism. And I'm a father and a grandfather of soon to be five so I know how biology works. It takes man and woman. It doesn't say, however, seed of man and woman. And it doesn't say seed of man. It surprisingly says the seed of the woman. It doesn't say virgin birth, but it anticipates it. Second puzzle piece, the crushing or beating or the wounding of the head of the serpent by the Messiah. I love that because I'm male. And we just love crushing things. You know, you put two little girls in a room with a tea set and they'll be making tea. Two little boys in a room with the same tea set and they'll be playing rugby. You know, it's just how it is. <laughs> crushing something. So this is a picture of domination, of winning, of victory. As I said, we anticipate the Messiah would beat up in early days Rome, in these days Russia. Who, who knows what's next? Third puzzle piece, very surprising. Cleopas, you've read this? Cleopas, did you ever read this? Mendelssohn, did you ever read this? Yeah, I did. Every year September I read this. It says that he will be bruised on the heel by the serpent. Somehow the serpent would bruise. Somehow the Messiah would be wounded. No, that can't be right, because the Messiah is going to wound and dominate and be victor over the enemies. No, it 
Ought not the, isn't that what Jesus said? Ought not the Messiah to be wounded and then enter into his glory? Huh. Do we have enough to know who it is? No, not yet. So let's turn in our Bibles to Micah chapter 5. Go to Matthew and turn left if you want to. Or if you're on a smartphone, you're already there. Micah 5 verse 1. Now muster yourselves in troops, daughter of troops. They've laid siege against us. With a rod, they will smite the judge of Israel on the cheek. But as for you, Bethlehem Ephratah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, out of you will come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from the days of eternity. Three more puzzle pieces I'm putting on the table. Number one, a repeat of the last. He's wounded. He's beaten on the cheek with a rod. Come on, Cleopas, you read that. Come on, Mendelssohn, it's wounded. There it is. But you know, sometimes you see things and you don't see them. I'm not just talking to husbands who are selectively dismissive of stuff. I'm, uh, so our wives tell us. Let me ask, have you seen the FedEx trucks, the FedEx delivery trucks? Sure, you've seen them. Can we pop up FedEx 1? Who do I look to, Joy? There you are. So FedEx 1, let's just put that up. And when you look at it, you say, oh, yeah, I've seen that. Have you therefore seen the FedEx arrow? You're looking at me blankly. Hmm. Okay, don't tell. <laughs> Somebody told you. All right. You, most of you don't see it yet. So let's look at FedEx 2. I took all these whilst driving. Don't ask. Um, so there it is, the white arrow facing to the right between the orange E and the orange X. Slowly the pennies. Good news of Jesus. My job as an evangelist is to help people see what they've been seeing for the longest time and just not seen. Does that make sense? Every year at Christmas, they put it on TV. They put the... Uh, the carols in the domain or carols at the Sydney Meyer Bowl, and everybody's down there, hundreds of thousands of people, drinking mostly. That's really what it's about, a, a little cheese, a little platter, but mostly just to drink and flick. Now we don't even use candles. Now we use our iPhones, and we turn on lights, and we sing, Hark the Herald Angel. And it's kind of a fun time, but they don't know that Mendelssohn wrote that, by the way. Hark the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king. It's not Santa Claus being born in David Jones. It was Jesus born in Bethlehem. And so they, they're seeing the arrow and they're not seeing it. See what I mean? So our job as believers is to turn to Mrs. Anderson or Dr. Chen, or I'll be ethnosensitive, Mrs. Goldberg, and try to help them get it, help them see what they've been seeing that they've never seen. You see what I mean? That is a good one. People will ask me all the time, why is it Jewish people don't see? And I say, you never saw the FedEx arrow. And they say, what arrow? <laughs> there you go. You know what's gonna be funny? For the most of you now, that's all right. It's okay. Don't let me judge you. Because <laughs> I won't. <laughs> I'm not going to. But there you go. Beaten on the cheek 
wounded, ought not the Messiah to suffer. Second puzzle piece from Micah 5, verse 2. Bethlehem, Ephrathah, birthplace of Messiah. He wasn't born on the third floor at David Jones. He was born in Bethlehem, which is a surprising nowhere village in the middle of a nowhere country. Israel's not that significant. The, uh, I, I don't know if you saw this, the Aussie Post just sold and then withdrew from their shelves a globe of the earth with Israel called Palestine. Oops. Yeah, they misprinted or something. Anyway, it's in the middle of a nowhere country. A little tiny insignificant compared to China and Russia and U.S. and Brazil, Australia. Hmm. You, that's where you'd have the Messiah born? I'd have him born in, you know, Oslo or New York City. You know, somewhere important, big, uh, Germany, Berlin maybe. Auckland, sorry. <laughs> not Tamworth, not Yes. I've been to both. I love them. I'm not saying anything against them. What I'm saying is kings should be born in royal cities. Prince Philip just died. They didn't have the funeral in, uh, you know, next to Stonehenge. They had it in, in a proper place in London. London, that's where it should have happened. But Messiah is born in Bethlehem. That is a surprising nowhere place. Then it says that his uh, uh, goings forth are from of old, from long ago. The Hebrew word there is mikedem. Mikedem is a geography word. It means from the east. But not one of your Bibles translates it geographically. Everyone translates it chronologically. He would be born, but he always existed. He was from long ago. We say, we use the phrase, from way back when. Why east? Because the sun rises in the east. So if he's born before the sun rises, that's yesterday. But it's not yesterday, it's way back when. Does that make sense? Yeah. Do we know enough yet to know who? No, not yet. So turn with me to Daniel, just a few pages back. Daniel chapter 9. This is where the 77s or 70 weeks of Daniel is, is um, unpacked a little. I'm not going to unpack it much, but I'm just going to show you a few things from Daniel 9, beginning at verse 24. While you're turning there, let me tell you, I used to be a high school mathematics teacher. I am not soliciting tutorials for your children's HSC, but what I am telling you is that numbers don't bother me. They may, however, bother you. We'll get through this without a whiteboard. Hang with me. Luke 24, I'm sorry, um, Daniel 9, verse 24, this. Seventy weeks or seventy-sevens. Why is it weeks or sevens? Because it's a, the Hebrew is a variant of the word week. Shavuim, shavuot, it's uh, very close. Have been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. What's the most holy place for Jewish people? Jerusalem, right? And more specifically, 
the Holy Temple in Jerusalem. So this is writing about a time we call in archaeology and history the Second Temple period. That's what this is talking about. So you're to know and discern both from uh, the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. I can do that. That's 69 weeks. It will be built again with plaza and moat even in times of distress. Then after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. Three more puzzle pieces I'm putting on my table. Number one, Messiah will die. That's what it means to be cut off, not from his allowance, but from the land of the living. No wonder the Lubavitcher Hasidim were not surprised when their Rebbe, Menachem Schneerson, died in 1994. If I'd read the sources, I would have known that the Messiah would die and his son or his grandson would take over. But I didn't read the sources. Messiah would die. Cleopas, there it is. Second puzzle piece put on the table is the time of the death of Messiah. That's where these... 62 weeks and all these numbers get a little confusing. Let me tell you that I won't unpack that now, but I'm going to recommend that you get this book called Yeshua, the name of Jesus. Yeshua, written by Moishe Rosen, founder of Jews for Jesus. He died about 11 years ago now. He was my mentor for 30 years. And in this book every couple pages there's another messianic prophecy unpacked including chapter 7 which goes through the exact number of days from the issuing of the decree until the death of Jesus it's pretty remarkable and it falls out precisely no wonder the rabbis won't let their students read learn study this text until they're 30 years old If you miss the exact dates, don't worry about it. What does it say in verse 25 that the issuing of the decree starts the time clock? Verse 26, the people of the prince comes and destroys the city. That's Jerusalem and the sanctuary. That's the end of the time clock. Somewhere between 444 B.C. when that edict was issued and 70 A.D. when the temple was destroyed, the Messiah would die somewhere in the second temple period and it's on the weighted end of that time period third puzzle piece the purpose of the death of messiah verse 24 to finish the transgression to make an end of sin to make atonement for iniquity friends the purpose of the death of messiah was not to give me a bicycle but to forgive me my sin and to forgive you your sin. Let's look at our puzzle pieces and be honest. We've got nine sitting on the table. We've got a Messiah who's born in Bethlehem, but he ever existed, and he was born only of a woman. He suffered, was wounded, and was killed. So that he could conquer the serpent so that he could forgive my sins. Happened before 70 AD. You got any candidates? Box top away. Any candidates? 
There's only one. I, I'm thinking of my brother who got up and read those words from the hymn. Who can forgive my sin? Who All those great words in the song we sang. There's only one, Jesus. Only Jesus. There's only one. So you're thinking, Bob, great for you to come out to Castle Hill and talk to a bunch of Christians about Jesus. Why aren't you talking to Jews about Jesus? I do. That's what I do for a living. So I'm giving you this lesson today for three reasons. One, I want you to have information to pass on to your Goldbergs and Chens and Andersons and Mendelssohns and Cleopases. I want you to be able to share from in, with information that you've now got. And mind you, you know more now than, not than you ever did, you know more now than most Jewish people about this subject. So be kind to them. I want you to pass. Look, if you can witness to Jews, you can witness to anybody. Um, secondly, I want you to trust the Bible that much more. In just three verses, I've showed you that Jesus is the Messiah, and you now believe it. Isn't that good? Imagine if we kept reading, because there's lots more stuff in this book. And it's more than just who is the Messiah. It's how we're supposed to get along with one another and how we're supposed to get along psychologically with yourself. I want you to trust the book that much more. And then I want you to live that book that much more. Does that make sense? And the third reason I want you to see this is so that you'll pray for Jewish people. Information alone never changes anybody. Academics never saved a soul. Giving them the right answers is good, but it's not enough. It takes God by his spirit to open eyes. Look back just for a moment at Luke 24, and you'll see where it says that uh, Jesus was uh, ready to go on and, uh, and leave Cleopas and friend. In verse 28 it says, And they approached the village where they were going. He acted as though he were going further. They urged him and said, No, no, stick around. It's time for tea. They're obviously Aussies. Stay for dinner. Uh, so he went in to stay with them. And when he'd reclined at the table with them, he took the bread, blessed it, and broke it and gave it to them. Then, verse 31, their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. That would be so spooky. I mean, they're rearranging the pebbles. They're sad. Their faces on the ground. This this guy from I don't know. He's from somewhere. He's like from Kansas. He rocks up and he says, "Hey, what's going on?" And they say, "What are you like the only visitor here?" No, no. Tell me what's going on. The things about Jesus. And then then he says, "Sit down, boys. We're going to have a Bible class." And he opens the Bible to them. And then they say, well, come on in for tea. And he comes in, he breaks the bread. Notice this, he breaks the bread. What do they see? The nail prints in his hand, in his wrists. That's where he was nailed. And they go, oh, that's, and he vanishes. Now that would spook me out significantly. 
and maybe you too. So when you read later on when he shows up again in the upper room with the disciples and they are afraid, he says, why are you afraid? Why? Hello? What do you mean, why am I afraid? We thought you were the guy, then you died, then you were buried, and then they say you rose, and then well, stop it. <laughs> Don't you feel like saying to Jesus, stop it sometimes? Because I'm trying to get a package, and you're outside. I can't get it. Have you ever been disoriented in your life, just famished is the Yiddish word, just so confused, and you don't know which way to go. Look, when if you are, you're on a dance floor, sorry, you're uh, playing cricket, um, whatever, and uh, you get a little disoriented, you get a little spin, your head goes spinning. If you get the first jab, my wife did this week, and she was out for two days, headache and disoriented and all kinds of, she's fine now but that's common that's kind of, it's all right if you're disoriented what do you do they say this i mean look for here in the church i guess you just stare at the big t because or if you're at a, a normal place you know and there's an exit sign just stare at the letter x in the exit, just something. Fix your eyes on something and the whole spinning of the room will stop and your body will get its equilibrium. So look what happens there as they say, we're, they're freaked out in verse 37. Verse 38, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? Why are you troubled? I'll show you later, buddy. But look what he, verse 39, Jesus's answer to disorientation. See my hands and my feet, it's I, myself, touch me and see, for a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as you see that I have. If you're disoriented, what do you look at? Five times he uses the personal pronoun. Me, I, look at Jesus. I'm almost 50 years in the faith and there's only one way I'm still here. And that's because of saints like you praying for me to keep my eyes focused on Jesus. I am not here because I'm so noble. I'm not here because I'm so religious. I'm so good. Forget that. I'm here because the saints have cooperated with the Savior and kept me looking at him. I am a grateful man for the church. Not, not the... Chinese Alliance Church or that that small fellowship up the road called Hillsong. I'm not it's not because of any one church but because of the church which you are and they are. That's why I'm still here, helping me fix my eyes on the one who will keep me oriented and not disoriented. So he taught them on the road, and they didn't get it. Verse 16, their eyes were prevented. Verse 31, then their eyes were opened. Dear friends, I am asking you to pray for Jewish people so that their eyes will be opened, because it's not enough that they hear information. I want them to get it deep in their spirits, in their kishkas, we would say, deep in their guts. Because if you get it, 
If you see that arrow, you can't not see it again. I want you to pray that they get it. Because not only will they see it, they'll turn and tell others that they might see it. And that's what happens. That's the story of so many Jewish people. I, I love sharing their stories. And I'll let the newsletter do that. Most of you, thank you to those beautiful kids who helped and uh, got the newsletters out to most all of you. If you didn't get one, you came in later. Not, not late. Uh, but there's, there's some on the back table. So you can pick up newsletters from us of stories of what happens to us out on the streets as we talk to Jewish people at our bookshop. I hope you'll fill out that white card if you're at home. Just Google Jews, Jesus, and Australia. Why do we say if they're at home? If you're in jail, wherever you're watching this. Um, I mean, do you record this? So see, it might be, you know, it might be 2035 and they're watching in Bora Bora or something. I don't know where people are. So uh, just Google Jews, Jesus, and Australia to get right to our webpage. And, but here in the church building, uh, go ahead and take that card, would you, and tear it right there on. Go ahead. It's the only thing we let you tear in church. Uh, unless you're a kid working in the creche. Uh, go ahead and tear that card. The large card, just fill it out with your name and details. And then turn that in to me. I'll be up the back after the service. The small card is for you to hold on to. And that's a prayer reminder card. And like Joe said, I've got a square. That's a tap and go machine. So you don't even have to give me cash. You can donate back there. You can uh, tap and, or you can buy products like the Yeshua book, like a jigsaw puzzle that I brought just cleverly. Uh, um, or an Israel Australia lapel pin, candles, anointing oil. We got stuff. 800 products at the shop. I did not bring 800 products. Don't be um, distracted, though, as I close. Don't be distracted by anything that sounded commercial. Because if you're not yet a believer in Jesus, whether you're watching elsewhere or you're here in this industrial park, sanctuary. God wants to open your eyes right now. And maybe you have, maybe you've seen him for the first time. Maybe you've understood Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. And maybe you've now said, now what do I do? What do you do? You pray. You say, Father, forgive me in Jesus' name. That's it. Well, no, isn't there some hoops to jump through? Oh, don't worry. God will give you plenty of hoops, and he'll give you strength to walk and jump through them with one another, with the one another that's here in this sanctuary. Brothers and sisters, support those newbies. You were a newbie once. You didn't know very much, and somebody took you by the hand and walked you into and through the kingdom. Here we are. Let's help each other. Let's help all the newbies. So if you're at home and you've just said, Father, forgive, if you've just become a believer, welcome to the family of faith. I hope you'll write to the church. Is it online? Is there a link? You can just click a link. And if you can't figure that out, what do they do? 
what do they do if they can't you know some people are not computer savvy and they're just watching this YouTube what do they do Google Grace Christian Church Castle Hill and they'll and they'll talk you they'll this is your mishpacha this is your new family to be together uh, what a joy Joe thank you for calling us thank thanks to that brother down in Victoria who urged you to get somebody Jewish to come out here thanks for coming back this Arvo after we all go eat um, and let's share together some more things about Jewish people maybe about whom you've never thought maybe you've thought that Jewish people are all like Abraham Isaac and then the rapture <laughs> and then nothing in between let's talk about the Jewish people in Sydney and in Melbourne and the 13 to 16 million around the globe who need what you have Joe thanks I'm going to wish you shalom. Thanks all. Thank you very much for that, Brother Bob. I really appreciated what you came to share with us today. I'm sure everybody did as well. I'm going to invite uh, the music team back up. I'm going to close with one more song, which I think is appropriate, and then I'll close in prayer after that. Thank you.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we bow before you now and thank you for Jesus. That in him we have forgiveness. That in him we have redemption. That in him we have regeneration and new life. We thank you for your servant Bob Mendelssohn and ask that you will continue to bless him as he goes and takes this jigsaw puzzle out to your people. We ask that you will anoint him as your servant, that you will give him the opportunities that him, by the power of your spirit, will have a massive impact for the kingdom of God among the Jewish people. We pray for Israel. We pray for the Jewish nation. We pray for Jewish people. Father, we ask that you will use us to some degree to not only pray for them, but reach out to them also. May we be tools in your hands. May we join with Paul's prayer that, that what advantage has the Jew much in every way. For unto them we committed the oracles of God. We pray for them that they too will see the arrow that is always there right in front of their faces. So we ask for you to take this message and impact our hearts. Transform us. Lead us in your ways. Direct us to walk in obedience for the glory and the uplifting of your Son for the extending of your kingdom and for the proclamation of your gospel. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you very much, brothers and sisters. It's wonderful that you're here. Our brother Bob's down the back. Um, please interact with him, share and ask him questions and stuff. See you back at one o'clock as well. Everybody at home, have a great day. God bless. See you next week.